Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. If you are new to the Radio Islam family, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast review rate subscribe all that good stuff we're on apple Podcasts, soundcloud google play and tune in you'll find us at radio islam usa we'll begin the program talking about leadership leadership defined as the action of leading a group of people or an organization now the question you and i should ask is where is that group going where is the leader taking those who follow him or her and equally as important what distinguishes a good leader from a bad leader? So tonight, to help us dive into this topic and examine leadership, we have joining us on the phone, Professor Ron Riggio. He is a recognized leadership scholar. Professor Riggio is the author of over 100 books, book chapters, and research articles in the areas of leadership, assessment centers, organizational psychology, and social psychology. And his most recent books are Leadership Studies, Elgar, 2011, and The Art of Followership and the Practice of Leadership, Jossie Bass, 2008 and 2007. Professor Riggio is the Henry R. Kravis Professor of Leadership and Organizational Psychology and former director of the Kravis Leadership Institute at Claremont McKenna College. We welcome him to Radio Islam. How are you, Ron? I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So leadership is something that... Um, I would dare to say that most people who are in leadership positions probably assume that they're good leaders. Yeah, I think I think that's the case. I mean, <laughs> it, uh, it's just like uh, self-esteem, right? So we all think we're good people, um, you know, and uh, so leaders are just people, and uh, most of them think, yeah, I'm I'm good. I'm doing a, a good job. I'm effective. Yeah. Um, but I think there's a difference between being effective and being good. Mm. Now, to, to be an effective leader, uh, is that something, uh, because as, because the idea uh, is that most of, most of us don't really look at ourselves in a critical way, uh, looking for our faults or looking for ways that we can become better. It, it, usually, it usually takes somebody else doing that uh, uh, for us. So that being the case, is leadership... Uh, to be an effective leader, is it something that requires um, kind of a, a sounding board? Does it, it, does it require outside uh, help? Or is it something that is just kind of reserved for just a, a select few that are going to be truly great leaders? Well, I think everybody can can develop their leadership capacity, their leadership skills, and I think everybody can get better. And And what I meant by the effective versus good is you can get things done. Um, a leader can can achieve a goal or get get something done, but they can do it in a way that really is a bad way. And what I mean by that is it's sort of like the idea of the ends justify the means. So if a leader gets uh, things done, but does it on the backs of the followers, in other words, you know, exhausts the followers gets them to do things they don't want to do, uh, coerces them. If that's the means by which the leader gets things done, then I say they might be effective, they got things done, but they didn't do it in a good way. Mm. Mm. So when it comes to, uh, to, to, to bad leaders, what makes somebody a bad leader? Okay. Well, I think a bad leader, uh, you know, first, uh, a bad leader is really more concerned about himself or herself than the followers concerns mm -hmm. and I think good leaders have the followers well-being in mind um, another way that um, bad leaders um, bad leaders will use and take advantage of people and most importantly the people who are following them and so if you're taking advantage of people then you're not a good leader you're you know, you're a bad leader um, you know, one of the things uh, that differentiates uh, good
good and bad leaders are the same qualities that differentiate good and bad people. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if you're honest and forthright, um, being honest with followers, that's good, good. If you deceive followers, if you trick them into doing things that maybe they wouldn't do otherwise, then, then that's bad leadership. You know, I, I talk about um, some of the things that, uh, that bad leaders do. One of the things that they do is they focus on outgroup members, and you might even call this scapegoating. So they pick certain groups of people, outgroup members, and they build unity in their followers by saying, hey, these people are our enemy. You know, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, we're right, they're wrong. And that we-they feeling, that in-group, out-group bias, is a very fundamental human process. And bad leaders take advantage of that. They know about that. They say if we can create an enemy, we can bring our followers to fight that enemy. But in reality, um, you know, good leaders don't, don't do that. They, they look in a broader sense, and they say we have to do what's good for the entire group, right, the mm -hmm. in-group and the out-group. So they don't scapegoat. Do, do you think that when leaders do that, um, when they when they turn one group into the into the other, right? They uh, they scapegoat them. Do do they do that because there is a lack of substance um, or ability as leaders, and they just simply tend to uh, cater to the cater to the I guess to the worst parts of human psychology? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what they're doing. So when you label somebody. So I'll use some quotes from the past. When you label some other country an evil empire mm -hmm. or an axis of evil, yeah. you know, or, or the great Satan, you know, right. what we're doing is we're vilifying these outgroup members. And that, in the long run, doesn't do us any good because in those other countries, those other groups that we vilify, at some point in time, we're going to end up working with those people. And this creates this huge divide that's very hard to bring together. Yeah, yeah. So understanding not just the the moment and uh, one of the, uh, I guess one of the shortcomings that we have in a society that is very much built on uh, instant gratification is not being able to see the, the, the end game. You know, being able to see past the convenience of, the, of today, uh, realizing that you're working to have something you know, 10, 20, you know, a hundred years from now. Yeah. So uh, that being said, what are some of the, the challenges that, that people who are in leadership positions need to be aware of? Um, uh, and then aware of for the purpose of, you know, working towards. So what are some of the challenges that they have to work toward? Yeah. What are some of the challenges to, to be oh, an effective long... leader? Yeah. As far as yeah. long range, um, uh, uh, planning and you know realizing that that what the decisions you make today are going to have you have to you have to deal with the results of them maybe yeah. not, maybe not tomorrow but maybe a year ten years down the line yeah so I think there's two things that that good leaders have to do to keep their followers motivated and keep them engaged and on the right path um, first they have to build up trust so that the followers trust them so they say you know we're, we're I'm leading you it's going to take a long time but stick with, with me. Um, so that's the first thing. I think the other thing is that, that leaders have to make sure that the, that w the goals that they have are aligned with what the followers want. So in other words, when we reach the end goal, everyone is going to benefit, not just me, but everyone will benefit. So the, the good followers have the outcomes for both for themselves, but also for the followers in mind. Mm -hmm. So again, that idea of the uh, ends does not justify the means. So to get to the end, you've got to do it in a in a positive way where everybody benefits. Mm. Now, let, let me ask this, because I think when we think about leadership, uh, many of us think about the person that's out front, um, the person that's on television or that has the, the big office. Um, is that always the case? Does the leader always have to be the one that we see? No. The, I, I mean, we 
in, in our country and in the West, we sort of glorify leaders. We give them much more credit for outcomes than they deserve because in reality, leadership doesn't happen without followers. Leadership is leaders and followers working together. They, they both work to construct what we call leadership. So a leader with no followers obviously isn't leading. Right. So, um, so it's really important to keep that in mind. Now, the other thing, too, is when it comes to much of the work that's being done, it's being done by followers. And in many ways and in many organizations and many groups, the leader might have more authority and the leader might have more say and might have some competencies that the followers don't have. But in most cases, the followers are pretty uh, competent in, a, you know, in their own right. And so very often, it's followers do a good portion of the leading. They step forward when they're needed and, you know, to the reins or help solve a problem. Hmm. In this breakdown of social movements, it was saying that the uh, the suggestion was that the most important person in the movement was not, a, not actually the leader, but really that second person that comes along and gives, uh, and, and gives uh, the credibility to that uh, that first person and do you have any particular thoughts on that does that sound accurate or do you have anything to add to that well yeah i mean leaders very often rely on uh you know their inner circle and so you have people so if you look at any organization any large organization or you look at a government you know a nation national or state government you know the leadership is really shared i mean the the person the governor the president the ceo you know, they are the figurehead of the leaders. They're the person that everyone's looking at. But much of the leadership is being done by the folks in the inner circle working, you know, with the leader, helping to accomplish shared goals. So so I think in our world we often, you know, I mean, if you, if you use the analogy of sports, right, we look to the high-scoring individual. We look to the LeBron James or something like that, and we say, well, he won the game, you know. Mm -hmm. But in reality, without the other team members, it would never happen. So, you know, but but our focus is on the, the person who's out in front. Our, per, our focus is on the team leader. Our focus is on the national leader. And we forget the contributions that followers are making. Mm. Now, I know on a, uh, on a on a religious level or um, in, in different traditions, this idea of, uh, I'll just use an umbrella term uh, messianic leadership uh which has at its core there there is a great deal of um i would say charisma that's that's involved uh in that um the ability to i guess to attract people to an individual uh, but but even in that do you think that there isn't that that's an oversimplified model that uh, or interpretation that people are overlooking what you just mentioned uh, with regard to this idea of shared leadership? Yeah, well, I think that it's, it's always dangerous to put, you know, all the emphasis, you know, to, to imagine that all the leadership is embodied in the one individual. Mm -hmm. and, and just to give you a sense of, of what a bad leader might do, yeah. one of the things that a bad leader might do, and this is, you could probably differentiate a sort of bad religious leader from a good one, right? right. A bad religious leader says, you know, it's really about me. Only I can lead you to salvation, right? And, and, or, you know, God is on my side, and, you know, you need to do what I say. Right. And so, you know, that's, that's an unrealistic tactic. Um, the, the good religious leader, you know, really does care about, you know, in the, the sense, the shepherd sense, you know, cares about the flock and cares about the followers and, um, and builds them up and you know and doesn't uh make themselves the center of attention doesn't make themselves the um you know the the means to the end hmm. even though we're, we're mentioning bad leaders um i'd like to have the you know I, I carry the belief that we are all uh we are we are all able to be redeemed we can all change that you know we're not uh who we are is not a static um, uh, existence, right? So that being said, so those leaders who qualify as bad leaders, what do they need to do? Say, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll give some specificity. 
uh, narcissism is something that, you know, I guess we could say that that would qualify. That would probably get somebody thrown in the in the bad leader camp. Um, Too what, much narcissism. Yeah. <laughs> so what what would that what would that individual have to do um, to become to become a good leader? How how does that person move from from one point to the next? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you look at, at narcissism, I mean, you know, narcissism, if you want to think about it, it's kind of an, an inverted you uh, relationship. So in other words, if you don't have enough, you know, low levels of narcissism where you lack self-confidence, right? Mm-hmm. So a little bit of narcissism is actually a good thing because it gives you that confidence. I'm capable. I can do it. You know, so that, that kind of narcissism, there's nothing wrong with it. And the research actually shows that those kind of narcissists, the ones who are sort of mildly narcissistic, are more likely to get into leadership positions because you have to have some narcissism to, to take a public leadership position where people are going to try to tear you down. And in, in, in that sense, we might call that narcissism really self-confidence. Hmm. When it gets too great, then you know you think there's a there's sort of a middle ground. So think of the inverted U, where narcissism helps. But when you start to become too narcissistic, then it falls down, right? right. And your effectiveness falls down. And, um, and so too much narcissism, then it becomes all about the leader. And that's not good, because if the followers don't benefit, um, then the leader is you know, doing the wrong thing. Mm. Uh, that, that makes perfect sense. I guess there is, there is a, uh, it's kind of a delicate balance um, with regard, you know, whether, whether it's self-confidence or it's something else so uh, all right so let me ask this um, uh, let me ask this with regard to teaching uh, leadership what is the first thing that you introduce uh, your students to or, or is there a uh, is there a ground uh, ground floor with with regard to this uh, this subject well I think the most important thing when you're teaching leadership because we have these stereotypes of leaders that we've been kind of talking about, that leaders are doing most of the work, that leaders are more important, that leaders are out in front. So I think one of the most important things that we do is we focus on followership. What does it mean to be a good follower? What's the importance of followers to the leader? And I think that opens students' eyes a lot of time because because we really do focus on, on leaders. I mean, think of how many uh, national leaders, historical leaders, and how many books are written about them. And so we say, you know, well, you know, uh, this president, uh, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, won the Second World War, overcame the Depression. But it, it, in reality, you know, it was a joint effort. It was a shared effort of a lot of people working together. He just happened to be the president, and he happened to be the most visible person. I'm not saying he didn't play a major role in it, mm-hmm. but what I'm saying is he didn't do it alone. And um, so that's the thing I think that is the hardest to teach to students is to sort of take their eyes off the leader and look at the leader and the follower together and how they work together to provide what we think of as leadership. Mm. Now, Ron, you have written extensively uh, on leadership. Is there is there anything that surprises you, um, you know, even at, at this point um, uh, about leadership? Is there something that you've come across like, wow, I can't believe I'm looking at this? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I think the most interesting thing right, right now, and, and, and this is something I've thought about for a long time, but I think it's really apparent today in the world today, is why? what are the reasons why people will follow bad leaders? What, what you know, sort of attracts them to the bad leaders? Mm. And, so, and, and one of the things we just sort of talked about, uh, you know, one problem is that people value the wrong leader qualities. We want confident leaders. And so we look at the narcissistic leaders, we look at the narcissistic and arrogant leaders, and we, we think that's confidence, and that's, you know, and so, you know, so we follow them because we think they know what they're doing or we, that they have the strength to do it, okay? Mm-hmm. But we're really following, in many cases, somebody who's kind of over that edge on narcissism, all right? All right. Um, and, and then the second thing that I talked about, or I talked about earlier, I think the second thing is we think that the ends justifies the means, and it doesn't. You can get to the same place, you can reach the same goal, and you can do it in a good way. 
or you can do it in a way in a, in a, a way that's harmful. Right? Mm. Um, I think the third thing why we follow bad leaders is we get in, just like leaders get intoxicated by power, we get intoxicated by following bad leaders. And so very often when you have a bad leader, the inner circle, and we'll call them the henchmen, mm-hmm. you know, they're drawn to the bad leaders because, because they get to share that power. And very often those henchmen, if you think about Adolf Hitler, mm-hmm. some of his inner circle, they were even worse than he was. Yeah. And, you know, so it's that, that power becomes, um, you know, just a huge attraction to them. And I think a couple other things. I think we don't hold leaders accountable. We don't, we don't stand up to our leaders, right? We don't often have the courage to stand up and say, hey, you're doing things that are wrong, you know? You shouldn't be doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then finally, I think we just, because they're leaders, we sort of give them a pass. We sort of say, okay, well, the leaders are sort of above the rules because they're the leader, so they can get away with things that you or I couldn't get away with. And I think that's absolutely wrong. I think that leaders have to follow the same rules and the same standards that their followers have to follow. In 2012, you wrote an article entitled, What is Charisma and Charismatic Leadership? Now, I mentioned this because when we ask the question about why people follow bad leaders, um, one of the things that comes to mind uh, as I look at that title is, is this this personal magnetism or charisma, uh, does that play a major part um, well yeah I think it I think it does and I think that we, you'll see that if you look at you know if you read about charisma and study charismatic leaders that you have the good charismatic leaders and you have the bad ones I mean I mean Adolf Hitler was a very charismatic figure right um, you know but so are, are very positive leaders too I mean you know Nelson Mandela right mm-hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. I mean these, these they had a lot of charisma too and, and we can we can unpack that. I mean, one of the things that researchers do is say, you know, what what is it that gives them charisma? But I, it, but just kind of in a nutshell, one of the things that I think gives them charisma is that they're really successful at communicating to their followers, and and they do it in a way that that really touches their hearts and their emotions. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that probably differentiates the um, good leaders from the bad leaders is when the good leaders are touching their hearts. They're working with more positive emotions. I think when um, when bad leaders use that sort of emotional trigger on their followers, they're often using anger. And you know, we talked about you know having the outgroup. So then they 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 uh, stir up the anger that the followers have toward the outgroup, the enemy, and you know, and get them to uh, uh, you know bring them together to fight. Uh, you know, so. So I think I think we understand a lot about kind of where the charisma comes from, mm-hmm. but it doesn't help us when we say, okay, well, you know, some of these charismatic leaders are bad, and some of them are good. Yeah, especially when there's, uh, as you mentioned, uh, when there's no accountability, uh, there's right. not a there's not a standard um, with regard to the effects um, or the direction of that leader. It's just uh, just say, okay, they're the leader, and, and we're just gonna. Let them do what they do. Um, Last question I want to ask. As uh, for anybody who who follows the news, I don't have to bring up any particular story. Uh, We recognize that we're in a very politicized, uh, uh, very politicized time. Uh, And and, and if if anybody who studies history, even on a a cursory level, will see that this is not unique. Uh, But we, we are still here. And a large part... Uh, the reason that it persists, it is because of the the, the leadership, um, you know, pandering to the uh, to the lesser parts of uh, of us as, as human beings. So I, I, I ask you uh, for this the next generation of leaders uh, that have the opportunity to to improve, you know, our, our political climate and, and, the, and, the, and the discourse. Uh, what is what, what are what are some things uh, that whether it be one or two or whatever? Uh, what are some of the things that you think they need to be mindful of uh, in their development as leaders? Well, I think the first thing is they have to learn to unify and not divide. Mm-hmm. Okay, good leaders just don't create these kinds of divisions. You know, right? Um, 
you know, I mean, I think we're seeing that now, you know, with the current administration is, you know, in, in President Trump's eyes, the Democrats are the bad guys, right? They're the enemy. Right. And, you know, and, I, and, I, and not that I'm going to do a direct contrast, but President Obama, um, one of the famous things that he said is he said, I'm the president of all people. Right. You, know, of, of, you know, and so I think that we need to take that and we need to listen to that and say, okay, look, the, the good leader um, would, ne- would not do that, would not create the divisions. The good leader would say, you know, I'm a leader for everyone, and I, and I realize I have different groups, different factions, and people, some people like me and some people don't like me, but they're all, you know, they're all my followers, they're all my constituents, they're all my children, or however you want to look at it, okay? Mm-hmm. I think the second thing um, that's really important is it's important to achieve results. So we have to fix the economy. We have to deal with poverty. We have to deal with all of these social issues. But the good leader does it not at the cost of hurting the well-being of followers or, you know, ravaging the environment or uh, turning friends into foes, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we want to do is we want to achieve the results, but we don't want to have all these sort of collateral side effects, these bad side effects. So we, we don't fix the economy by ruining the environment. Right. We don't, um, you know, we don't take friends and turn them into foes just because we want to, you know, uh, win against them. So, uh, you know, a trade war or a real war, right? Um, and I think... Um, the, the third thing is that leaders need to know how to share the leadership with the followers. They need to work with followers. They need to consult with them. They need to care for them and their needs and work to develop leadership in the community so that we have now a, gen, you know, we have a, a generation or the next generation of leaders. And I think that the, the great leaders should be role models positive role models that will inspire and create new leaders down the road. And then I think the last thing is you have to leave your group better off than you found it. You need to say, mm. how am I going to, um, you know, how, how are things going to be better when I'm gone? And so I think thinking about the legacy is really important. Leaders need to think, you know, what am I going to be remembered for? What am I going to, what will I have done? When, um, when I'm no longer the leader. And hopefully those are all really positive and good things. That's a fantastic ending point. Ron, how can our listeners uh, keep up with you? Uh, website, social media, blog, anything of that nature? Well, I have, a, I have a blog on psychology today. It's called Cutting Edge Leadership. Okay. And it's up there. And if, uh, you know, if uh, uh, some of your listeners want to follow me, they can follow me on Twitter or they can... Uh, can just check into the psychology today one word.com and look up cutting edge leadership or look up my name and uh you know always happy i read all the comments that people make on my blog posts and uh you know happy to hear from you and and what's your what's your handle on uh on twitter on twitter it's ron riggio oh okay my name yeah okay great all right, uh, Radio Sound family, we have been talking with Ron Riggio. He's a professor at Kravis Leadership Institute, Claremont McKenna College. And uh, you have his information, so follow him, uh, get the blog. Uh, it has been a pleasure talking to you, and I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. All right, take care. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. You're listening to Radio Islam on WCEV 1450 AM. We'll return after a short break. Sweet strawberry icing. You're in goodwill and just past that vintage denim jacket you spot. Miniature donut earrings. You lean in. Ah, that's the scent of shopping success. Because at goodwill, every item you buy funds local job training and more. So bring home those donut earrings and bring home so much good to your community. Goodwill. Bring good home. Brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872 806 
That's area code 872-806-0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811 Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Welcome back to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we're streaming at WCEV1450.com. We remind you to keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA, and take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. We are wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts. Take a moment to subscribe, uh, rate, review. We're on Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. So look for us. We are there. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. Before we get in, uh, before we go any further in the program, we want to remind you to come out and join us at the Sound Vision Benefit Dinner, October 27th. That's a Saturday at Ashton Place in Willowbrook. Our keynote speakers are Linda Sarsour, co-chair of the Women's March, Amir Kawji, a video producer with AJ Plus, and Imam Abdulmalik Mujahid, founder of Sound Vision and chairman of the Burma Task Force. So you can get your tickets at soundvision.com. That is soundvision.com. And also, you can uh, you can donate. There's a donate button there to help support the uh, important work that Sound Vision has engaged in for the past 30 years. Right? That's a long time. So 30 years of work and advocacy on behalf of the Muslim community um, is worth your support. So donate. Uh, most importantly, come on out. You know, we'd love to see you next Saturday at Ashton Place in Willowbrook. Uh, go to soundvision.com, as I said, to get your tickets. Now, a lot of the recent uh, discussions that we've been having on the program have centered around the power and importance of narrative, right? Storytelling. Storytelling and the impact of the stories told about us. Uh, and equally as important, sometimes more important, the stories that we tell about ourselves. So, up next, we're going to talk with Robin Salim Abdul Samad, who is the author of Zainab's Enchanted Scarf. This is a children's book featuring uh, little Zainab, an African-American girl who embarks on an adventure that takes her to Africa, where she meets Queen Amina, Mansa Musa, Ramses and Nefertiti. Right. That's an that's a stellar historical cast. Uh, Robin earned a Bachelor of Arts in Communication, Public Relations from North Carolina A&T, and a Master's in Public Administration from National University. Uh, she is a native of North Carolina and currently resides in Dallas, Texas with her husband and three children. And we are pleased to welcome her to Radio Islam. Assalamu alaikum, Robin. Wa alaikum assalam. Thank you for having me. It is our pleasure. Um, as, I, as I was telling you um, uh, prior to us going on that when I saw the cover, uh, the artwork for Zainab's Enchanted uh, Scarf, I was just really, um, it, it touched me, you know, as, as a father of three daughters. Um, whenever I see stories that, I, that you know, they could have 
related to that just uh, it just does something for me so could i first ask you what was the uh what was the inspiration uh for this now this is i'm i know i'm throwing a lot out there but this is not your first uh-huh. book um uh but what was the inspiration for this one well for for this book it actually started when i was seeing my daughter with a school project for black history month Mm-hmm. And I began to notice over the years the list of people the teachers would recommend that they could research. And it would just basically be the same people year after year, like uh, Martin Luther King or Rosa Parks um, or George, George Washington Carver, just to name a few. And that's not to take away you know, anything from their achievements, mm-hmm. but... Um, as I was helping her with the project, I came across a page that displayed um, African American, I mean, I'm sorry, African kings and queens and their contributions to society. And at that moment, it was like a light went off, and I just felt like these were people that everyone should know about, and it should first start with our children. So I began researching and writing, and Zainab's Enchanted Scarf was born. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you know, and it's funny, uh, as, as parents, uh, as I mentioned, I, I don't know if I mentioned it or not, because they keep, they keep me going. Uh, but I have three teenage daughters, and I recall back to when they were, you know, those formative years, you know. Um, right. And, and, and what it meant for them to see uh, depictions of, of their right. history themselves, you know. And, you know, just mm-hmm. in the storybooks. And I have right. to say that that's not something that was uh, that that was not prevalent. It was not it was not the norm. So right. yeah, so I think that's that's just extremely important. Uh, and something that parents just seem to pick up. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, what what's what's the goal, uh, or, or was there a, a set goal? I know you said that uh, you know when it's time for uh, Black History Month, you know it's always George Washington Carver. It's you know it's always kind of a <laughs> You know the, the 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 regular actors, um, exactly. But what was there a particular goal that you had with uh, Zaynab's and Janet Scarf with regard to the inclusion of these these real historical figures? Yeah, um, you know, I think back to my own childhood. You know, so like those of us who attended public school, and of course our school age children today. Um, you know, they're told the same story year after year that African Americans were stolen from Africa. Uh, they were brought to America on a ship and were made to, made into slaves to pick cotton and build this country. So when when Zenith Enchanted Scarf was written, the goal was to educate the readers on a part of our history that's not taught in public schools. And you know, I also hope that Zenith Enchanted Scarf will especially give our children of color that boost of confidence and you know with the book providing positive imagery of Africans and African Americans I'm hoping that that it will also increase their love of reading mm-hmm. now um, I also think it's it's interesting uh, and, and worthy of mentioning the fact that this is this is a book that uh, just looking at it uh, this is a book that mm-hmm. connects African Americans back to Africa, and right. and and that's not I think that not enough importance is placed on that mode of uh, of thinking. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to get into a bit of the importance of because you you mentioned Mansa Musa, uh, that's one of the characters mm-hmm. that's mentioned, um, you know, historical figures, but also the importance of Queen Amina. Uh huh. Um, can you talk a bit about that because I think. I think her inclusion has particular importance, uh, especially now that there's, you know, there's a heightened awareness um, with regard to uh, gender equity. Uh, and, and, right. and, and then even within that conversation, that does not always translate to recognition of the equity or value of African-American women or women of color, period. Um, right. So could you talk a bit about the, uh, the inclusion of Queen Amina? Yeah, um, you know, when I think of Queen Amina, the expression uh, own it or girl boss comes to mind. Mm. 
and that's an <laughs> yeah okay and that's an expression that's often said when someone we know uh, earns a I guess you could say a prestigious title or some major achievement. So we may say, girl, own that title, you know. Mm-hmm. And to me, Amina owns that crown as a warrior queen. Right. So I think the importance of her is that she was the first Alsa Muslima to become the warrior queen in a male-dominated society. And uh, she was also, you know, able to create a legacy that would contradict all stereotypes of women leadership in, you know, in a a patriarchal African society. So, you know, her legend among the House of People, you know, still carries on, you know, with her military exploits. And I don't know if people know this, but her her, um, legendary escapades, made her the model for the TV series Zena, the Warrior Princess. I don't wow. know if people you know heard of that, but I don't think it was on TV long, but <laughs> it was on I think that ran about I think maybe five seasons. May, you know. It, okay. It had a was decent she, run, I think. Okay. Well <laughs> she influenced that character. Wow. And so um this was something I learned in my research and so you know, I believe her memory and her story represents the spirit and the strength of womanhood. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, that it's a positive representation. She is a positive representation for our African-American Muslim girls as well as our non-Muslim girls. Yes, yes. Now, is this, um, uh, is this a book that you would recommend uh, caregivers? Uh, I don't want to just uh, just use the blanket term parents, right? But for just caregivers, right? right? Um, that they read with the child, or is this uh, is this something that you could that you could give to the the child on their own, and just you know leave them leave them to their yes. own? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I think any time. I mean, the the book is between uh, grade two to seven, I would say. So whatever that age range is, but I absolutely uh, you know encourage parents. And or you know caregivers to read with their children for at least 30 minutes a day and and have a conversation of what's read to test their comprehension and to address any of their questions. But um, you know this particular book <clears throat> will definitely um, you know enlighten not just the young readers but as well as the adults. Hmm. Now I want to I want to divert for a moment just to ask because uh, this is your third book, right? Yes, it is. Uh-huh. Okay. Could you could you tell us what are the other books that you've written as well? I, I'm just I'm just curious. Okay, sure. Well, my first my very first book was titled Wahid and His Special Friends, and oh, wow. it's a book for beginning readers, which consists of rhyming words, sort of like Dr. Seuss, mm-hmm. and those kinds of books are great for toddlers and preschool children. Mm-hmm. And then I also uh, wrote a book titled You Are Beautiful. And that book addresses the beauty of ethnic diversity and um, pretty much overcoming, um, you know, racism, teaching children how to overcome racism. That was inspired um, by an incident that my two girls had experienced at school um, with a non-African-American person. So. Wow. Wow. <laughs> now, did the people or... Um did the school or teachers, did, did they realize that that incident spurred a book? <laughs> yes, I've been out to the school and, uh, and have read the story, but yes. Okay. Yes, they're very much aware. <laughs> okay, so, so other, people's, other people's children uh, benefited from that experience. That yes. is... That yes, is, yes. I, I was able to um, actually um, have a copy donated to, the, to their school library as well, so... Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Um, now, I want to ask you something, um, I guess, that leads up to the book, right? Now, you mm-hmm. have a background in, uh, in, in corporate America, uh, corporate America uh, quite accomplished. Um, mm-hmm. Was your foray, what was your foray into writing uh, children's books? I believe it was just being a mom, you know, first-time mother, um, really with my last child, I'll say, with uh, my son, 
um, you know, I'm an advocate for reading, and I'm always taking my kids to uh, the library. And just having that lack of uh, representation of little brown children as the main character in books. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I just said, you know, sometimes we have to create our own opportunities. And and that was something that I I did. I, I wrote my first book. Um, you know, because I was seeing there was a lack of, of those, um, you know, little brown children in, in storybooks. Mm. Now, uh, do you, are you, are your children aware that, that mom is an author? Yes, they are. Okay. When I, um, or do anything, you know, you know, reading the library or at an event, they're, they're there with me. Okay. All right, that that is awesome. Now, uh, now is is the book is it available right now uh, for purchase? Yes, it is. Um, it's actually available on Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, or you can submit your book order by email at um, info at at omeraproductions.com. And if you decide to order by email, you'll get an autographed copy of the book. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Now, are you doing, uh, you know, like uh, readings and things like that uh, right now? I am. I've started scheduling book readings at schools and libraries, or I'm also open to um, religious organizations for 2019. I will say my calendar tends to fill up quickly, especially during the month of February for Black History Month. So Mm, if anyone is interested in having me come and read um, to the children or to your class, you know, again, you can send an email to um, info at at omeraproductions.com. I'm also, you know, a speaker along with my business partner, Dr. Kimberly Harper. Mm -hmm. So we tend to um, speak about why representation matters or the importance of diversity and inclusion. So, you know, if you have an event coming up that you would like for us to speak at, you know, we'll be more than happy to to come on out. So, well, since you mentioned that, I have to ask this question: um, mm-hmm. when when you talk about diversity and inclusion, what are your thoughts yes. on the presence of uh, of uh, of characters of color uh, written by people of color? Um, in the children's um, uh, book, uh, you know, genre? I think it's very important that, you know, children see themselves, you know, like we said before, you know, um, you know, as a Muslim woman and having Muslim children, you know, it's not just, you know, having that African-American, you know, um, image, you know, whether adult or child, but also as a, you know, African-American Muslim. You know, there needs to be more representation, you know, um, of our children that, you know, where they can see themselves. Yeah, that's, I'm sorry, that's really what I was, that's what I was trying (laughs) to articulate. Like, what what, what is your, uh, what are your feelings on the current state of representation? I think there needs to be improvement, Mm. Um, you know, especially with, you know, in the Muslim community, a lot of. You know, if we want to talk about um, Muslim children books, mm-hmm. we tend to not see ourselves in those books or in those videos, um, you know, children videos. Um, so, you know, there has there needs to be, you know, more representation of African-American children and African-American Muslim children. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited to see, as I said, when I saw the, the um, just saw the cover and the title uh, and, and reading mm-hmm. Just reading what I did, I was like, man, I wish, I wish I, my children. Well, no, I don't. I don't wish they were little anymore. <laughs> don't let me say that. No, but I've got, but I've got nieces and nephews. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. so, so you can always add to your, uh, to your home or school library. That's so. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, do you have any uh, social media uh, contact information that the uh, listeners can uh, get at you? On Facebook at Omera Prod, P R O D. And we're also on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And our handle is Omera Productions 16. 
And we're also on Twitter at Omera Production without the S. Okay. Well, we are going to put the link up on uh, on our Facebook page as well, and we'll we'll um, shoot that out on our, our Twitter. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and um, thank you. Yeah, we look forward to uh, look forward to your next book. <laughs> okay. Well, let me let, let me just add this. I forgot to say that Stand um, Up Enchanted Scarf is part of a series. So I'm currently in writing mode. Oh, get out of here. the next book will be released next summer. And okay. uh, we also have an animation for Jane of the Enchanted Scarf, and that's available on our website, ameriproductions.com. Nice, nice. Awesome, awesome. Okay, you, sa- <laughs> you saved the best for last. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. It has been great talking to you. Uh, and thank you for, 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 for letting the uh, Radio Slam listeners uh, learn about Zainab's Enchanted Scarf. All right. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure to All talk right. with you. Assalamu All right, folks, we have come to the conclusion of another edition of Radio Islam. And before we sign off, we want to remind you once again, October 27th, to join us at Ashton Place in Willowbrook, Illinois, for the Sound Vision Benefit Dinner. Uh, and as I've said before, it is so much more than just a simple dinner. It's not just about coming out and getting uh, getting a plate and sitting down and listening to uh, people drone on and on. Uh, this really is a night that you need to be present with so much at stake right now, whether it be uh, in, in our elections uh, or it simply is about the narrative, the Muslim narrative, the the narrative on Islam in America. Uh, there there are so many reasons that you need to be present on October 27th, Saturday night at Ashton Place. I remind you, our keynote speakers are Linda Sarsour, co-chair of the Women's March, Amir Kauji, video producer with AJ Plus, and Imam Abdul Malik Mujahid, founder of Sound Vision and the chair of the Burma Task Force. This is a night where we are looking to once again show up, be engaged, uh, just recognize one another uh, to realize that we are the support. We have the supports that we need and we have the capacity to make any change that needs to be made. So join us October 27th at Ashton Place. Get your tickets at soundvision.com. Yeah, we look forward to seeing you. And with that, we want to thank our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. Uh, as always, we thank you for spending this hour with us. Uh, I'm your host and producer, Tariq el Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. We remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision. That's it, good people. It's that time. We leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.